Today on the B2B Power Hour, I'll be talking to Dan Kajewski, Senior Director of Enterprise and Staffing Sales at Talent.com, the third largest job site in the world. So needless to say, Dan knows a thing or two about hiring high-performance teams. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Pleasure to be on, Nick. Thanks for having me. We got a big topic today that uh, we haven't had on here before. And I'm really excited to pick your brain and get into some of those experiences that I know others are wondering. And I think no better way than to start with, why is hiring top talent such an issue right now with all the technology that we have? It's very simple, very, very simple. So the one word that I can think of is choice. So today more than ever, salespeople have more choices than ever. Um, And that was accelerated clearly by COVID. So I think usually people were were restricted to a geographical area of where they could work or who they could work for. And COVID, I think, flipped that on top of its head. So people with choice could work from anywhere, could choose to work for more companies. So it's really is, um, you know, being in the talent space for the last 20 years right now is like a candidate market more than it's ever been. I've seen that with even people on LinkedIn that'll ask me about uh, job like pay rates. Hey, is this a good rate? Hey, is this a good base? Hey, is this a good comp structure? But do you think maybe now is a time that uh, reps should be looking at more than just pay and maybe is culture something you should be looking at? Or what would, what would be your advice to them, the people that are about to jump ship just because of pay? So here's my advice. Because we have choice, I would tell you, especially as you're starting your sales career, like, figure out a space that you really want to be in because now's the opportunity to work for those type of companies regardless of where you live so think about Mm -hmm. like silicon valley in san francisco like people want to work for for google they want to work for facebook and typically you had to live in san francisco in order to get an opportunity to learn that experience today that's not the case so like i think if you're a good salesperson you're going to make money regardless of where you go I think as you're starting your career and starting to move up the ranks, like think about like a space that really interests you or something that really is a a passionate play for you. And then I would make decisions based off of that. I think with, um, you know, this topic of having choice, I think like you're going to see culture and perks and benefits just elevate anywhere that you go. So stick with like what's in your heart, as cheesy as that sounds. And like, I think that's a good play as you uh, look for your next move. That makes sense. If, if you're not going to get bored of it and it's going to drive you to research after work or push yourself to be better, why not stay there? If you're just hungry for a paycheck, it's not going to keep you motivated for those down months where you're not making money. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I'm sure you see that too, uh, Nick, when you talk with your, your co-hosts weekly that, um, again, like if you're a good salesperson, the money is going to come. So like figure out like what's your passion and that'll even help you be better uh, and more interested in what you're doing. I got a funny question and this comes from me doing something like so many years of LinkedIn and you probably know where I'm going to go with this, but LinkedIn has this funny thing where people completely over exaggerate what the hell they do and they look amazing on paper and then what nothing happens. So what would be your advice to the people that are trying to upgrade their LinkedIn profile to represent themselves properly to get noticed by people that are hiring? So I think as a sales leader, what I look for is I like looking for metrics. And I understand people could lie about any single thing they want on LinkedIn, and I'm sure some of them do. But like, 
I don't, it doesn't really impress me if a salesperson has had a, a relationship with a certain type of C-level. You know, it doesn't impress me if they worked with like Walmart. Um, I think in sales, like we're very metric based. So like if you're at 120% to goal, I think that's a good indicator that you could probably sell. If you have multiple um, years or multiple uh, landing spots where you've done that, I think that's like a good, a good indicator that you're, you're able to hit a quota. Um, and sales is usually all about that, right? So I think like if you're uh, updating your LinkedIn, I, I, the thing that I always get bored with is it's just super word heavy and it's a bunch of words of what you did, a bunch of words of who you interacted with, a bunch of words of, of God knows what, like what impresses me is, is more of like a metric based results. Uh, cause that again, demonstrates to me that you're a top performer, whether you talk to a C-level or not, I, I candidly don't care. I care like if they've demonstrated that you could win in the past. It makes me think of working out in like some of the guys that I train with and they're like, Dan, what's your number? What's your number? But lead with your number, right? Let your number do the talking. And at the end of the day, if you can achieve quota, like you said, show that. And I could see how, you, would you put it in your, do you like looking in the about section? Or do you like it when it's on each, like the first thing they have in a job listing is like, this is my track record. These are my numbers. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So I I, I usually like it in... Um you know, the track record section. Cause the other thing I was going to say, so like, how do you stand out? Right. So, yeah. So how do you get a sales leader to actually see and stop at your profile and take like that next step? I yeah. do think, and you do this every week with your show, like our, our job is to, is to influence and like grab attention of people. So I think if you, if you do choose to, to use like that subject line, I think like put yourself out there, be clever. Um, don't be cheesy, but I think it's like that fine line of like gathering what you're really good at to get, to grab me in and then follow it up with like what the metrics are that you've done. I don't know. You, you look at LinkedIn profiles pretty often. Like what, what do you like to see? My biggest thing is the three second test. Is it written about you or is it written for me? And I'm always impressed when somebody writes for me that they have the emotional intelligence to step outside of their own shoes and think about what I would need to see to make a decision. Why change? Why now? Why you? And that's always super impressive. And normally you get that in three seconds, right? You see their banner image, you see their profile picture and you see their tagline. That's really, I don't know what it's like looking at, I haven't looked at resumes in a long time because I haven't had to do that level of hiring, but how off, how long do you look at a resume really before you make that initial gut feeling? Five seconds, yeah. Ten seconds, three seconds. It's really no different. Yeah, yeah. So we we work with HR teams every day, recruiters. If if it's a, a resume that even fits the profile, it's three seconds. And as much as people love to throw what they did fifteen years ago, five years ago, six years ago, they're really interested in the last two jobs. Um, and again, like I, from my experience talking with HR people, fluff is one thing, and just reading about your, your daily actions. Like we're not line cooks. Like we're not, we're not people that need to, to write out that we could follow through on a recipe or something like that. Like we're, we're demonstrating that we are able to understand a product, understand how it relates to customers problems and ultimately sell them our, our product or service to, to help them do that. So, um, I think you're right. I think like that, that quick three seconds is, is a good, uh, starting point. 
I think it. I think too. Like you, you. Not one type of sale is the perfect sale. Like you can be transactional and still be good. You can be consultative and be good. You might sell to mid market SMB. Like there is no perfect seller. So I think the more people can own what they're like you said, look at what you did in your past two years, and reflect on. Is that where you want to be? Do you want to go somewhere else? But yeah, don't lie about it and use those three seconds wisely. Yeah. So now you got this. I remember this when I was hiring at a previous company, you'd put out a LinkedIn ad and you get 17,000 people, especially in like two years ago when everybody was hiring and there were so many different candidates that were coming through, you'd get people from all over the world. So now you got this list of 10,000. How do you go? What, what would be your method to your madness to go through those and pick, like build your short list to be interviewed? It's a great question. So I found, and, and every hiring manager should be doing this. So look at your top couple sales reps and create, create a, um, um, a, a scorecard of like, what, what makes them really good? Like you, you hear all the time, like, give me, give me somebody that's hungry, that doesn't know the business and I'll hire them a hundred percent of the time. You know, there, there, there's all those different kinds of sayings, but I, I do look at, I look at the top reps and see like, is it attitude? Is it clearly like an activity base? Is it experience in that space? Is it, um, knowledge and so on and so forth. So what I really look for in our space is, is I would typically like to see some experience. Um, we don't have a problem training people in the uh, HR space whatsoever, but I do feel like if you have that, that step ahead of you, like that, that helps us just kind of focus on how we solve pro customers problems and we don't have to spend time and energy and learning like the space. So I think like all things being equal experience in that space is always like going to be important. Um, all things being equal, I do look to see like tenure at some places like salespeople jump around often, but I do kind of take a step back if somebody's jumping year to year. Cause to me that like one of two things, it's either really good. They hit their numbers and like they have better earning potential. So they're leaving or two, they had a good year or a bad year and they're jumping ship cause they don't want to deal with year two of whatever they're doing. So I feel like two years for me is like that sweet spot. Like, like, hmm. you know, they're, they're, my guess is that they 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 exceeded their sales number they're not running from everything they're giving the next year a shot and now they're using that experience to like leverage to go to the next spot so those have that used those sense. three things that have usually been uh you know pretty good because i think like for my sales team in the last two and a half years we haven't had one person leave <laughs> so i think Impressive. like um you know that hiring methodology is, is has been holding pretty true for me I, I've, I've had quite a few people send me uh, job descriptions recently and what people are looking for. And I've noticed this trend that some of the asks of people versus the pay have honestly just been outrageous. And it's like I was looking at one the other day, they were looking for an enterprise seller and they wanted 10 years, 10 or 15 years of SaaS experience. And I was, cool, who, who were they working for back then? What does that look like? Yeah. What does that look like in your own company? Because what, who, who was around back then that was actually running a SaaS movement? Yeah. And so do you think that some of the requirements are a little out to lunch right now from some, from it, for some HR recruiters? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a company in San Francisco called Hacker Rank. You ever heard of them, Nick? No. So Hacker Rank 
is basically a company um, that basically says like, we don't care if, if you have a, a master's degree in, in data science, like we'll, we'll just, um, you know, we'll create some, some developer tests. If you could pass the test, companies should then understand like who gives a crap about if they have a degree or not. And I think yeah. what we see on talent.com is we're seeing, um, in our, in our clients job postings, like those requirements relax and kind of like remove. Um, we're seeing that like that college degree isn't necessarily important. If you're a salesperson and you're an experienced salesperson and you have, a, you know, three to five years experience, like you're demonstrating that you could keep a job or whatever the, 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 the bad thoughts are of people that don't have degrees. So I think like a hundred percent that you're seeing those skill set requirements relaxing big time. What would your advice be? We'd already talked about how to stand out. What would your advice be to the junior seller that's working their way up the ladder? Say they've hit their one year, maybe their two year mark. Maybe this is their second job and they're looking for their third. If the requirements are a little rich for their experience, would you advise them to go forward or what would you tell them? Well, I think you, you said it earlier. So I think like you're, you're working for the job that you want people would say that you dress for the job that you want. You might not have the real world experience of doing X, Y, Z, but think my guess is if you're an SDR or you're an AE, your next level up is going to be account management. So like how, how do you get that experience and how do you do that with what you're doing today? So you could show the tangible, um, results of what that is. So I told you before, I'm very big on like metrics, like show me that you finished at 120% to goal. But if you don't have that account management experience, maybe like tied to your title, I think that's a great area to maybe put a little bit of that fluff, assuming it's true. Hey, like I was able to work with XYZ customer and, and grew their, their book of their revenue 10X or my existing book of revenue, I grew 15X or something like that where, you know, it's more relatable to the job that you're trying to get. That absolutely makes sense. That's that's what we tell customers. That's what we go and lead with with prospecting. Why would it be any different than getting when we're getting a job? Yeah. So maybe this is <laughs> listeners are going to laugh, but I have to ask this question: What about the movement for influencers and creators on whatever social media platform? Is this a red flag? No, no. I think it's the opposite. Like I, I think, um, I, I think it, it that is a growing movement. Uh, you know, we talked offline about how important it is to get your brand out there and your message and just the way that people dissect content today. I, I think that that's going to be uh, a feather in anybody's cap if you could if you could own that. The biggest thing that you brought up earlier, though, is awareness. Like, you have to be able to know the fine line of, like, what is too much. Um, mm. I've seen people in my network where it's too much and, like, they're they're annoyed and you're, and you're just like, hoping that they understand that they're coming across bad. And I've seen the opposite where people have really thoughtful content. Um, and it, and it really does like impact like thought and, and, uh, influence and like what they're trying to accomplish. So that's why you unfollowed me. No, <laughs> <just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes sense. And I think it's like those, you remember the old days of like the water, water cooler conversation and like you don't they'd always be the joke going around to like watch yourself when you're going out for drinks with clients yeah. and watch yourself don't don't be the one that have that career limiting move well you know what happens on social media stays on social media and goes everywhere 
So I guess as long as you're being respectful of that, that you wouldn't be worried that your mom saw it or your boss saw it or your next boss saw it, then it's probably nothing to worry about, hey? Yeah, I mean, I think I would hope that that's, that's uh, doesn't need to be said. So anything inappropriate or that could <laughs> could uh, cross the line, that's that's one thing. But I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing maybe like an overposter, you know, like my, my uh, aunt who overposts about her cat and you end up silencing her or deleting her or whatever you want to say and if she's i don't think she's going to listen or she's listening i'm sorry um <laughs> but it's just um it's just too much you know what i mean so how you gauge what is too much that that's where i think like awareness comes in and i don't, I don't even know how that's taught right that's just that's just what's going to separate the good from the bad yeah maybe that ties us into the next conversation too about culture yeah like it's one thing I keep hearing everybody talking about is that, uh, you know, we hire for culture, we build culture, culture's a big thing, and it seems to be this next big push. And, like, there's a big, you know, the talk about toxic sales culture. What What is healthy culture? So here's like, what I... If you had to describe it, what, yeah, what is yeah, it? Yeah, here, here's what I think that... Here's what I think it is. I think it's, like, respect, and, and it's simple, and, and it sounds too simple, but I, th- I think it's respect. I think it's... You know, we're walking together as opposed to you're like walking behind me, regardless of the level. I think it's empowerment. I think with like more people working remote, people need to feel like they have a place and have a voice outside of just sitting at home behind their desk, dialing away or doing whatever their activity is. Like they need to feel like they're empowered. So like, you know, some tips I think to help people feel empowered is invite people to join product calls, marketing calls, calls where you know, influence and decisions being made. And at the least, like they just feel like they're part of something greater as opposed to just like a, a worker ant dialing away. Mm-hmm. Um, humility. So I think like that's always important, right? Like, like you as a leader and or as an organization, like you need to acknowledge when you've messed up, you need to acknowledge that maybe you're not always perfect. Um, I've a hundred percent sometimes accidentally failed to deliver on a promise. And when that happens, I take full ownership. It's not somebody else's fault. It's mine. Um, and then the last, you have to find a way to have fun. And like, I, and that's such like a cheesy way, it's a cheesy statement because like, what, what is fun? But like, you know, there's going to be people on your teams, especially that are remote, that have more energy than others, that they're more outgoing than others. And like, let them take the lead a little bit in terms of like, you know, what could be discussed at team meetings, whether it's virtual or in person. If you do get together in person, like, don't be the leader that like, I'm going to tell us where we're going to go. Like, no, you guys tell me what you want to do. Um, celebrate mm-hmm. success, uh, do small things. Like, uh, I just saw from an influencer yesterday what, that I'm going to do is like, she sent everybody, like she finds out like people's favorite scented candle. And like, there's a calendar, a, cal- a candle sale and she's sending them stuff like that. It's just like these small things that are controllable that I think like, good culture you win those like like it, it even though it's sending a candle and it's stupid and it might be small it's these little incremental um positive things that you do that add up to a big culture that makes sense you're making value deposits no different than being on social media when you keep giving without expecting to get yeah people appreciate it what about you have you heard uh any other tips you've heard from your your co-hosts or your your guests and and what resonates so one of the best ones that i've heard recently 
the, the term psychological safety gets thrown around, but the one that I loved was that when I ask a question, I it isn't met with criticism. It's met with congratulations and conversation. And one of the things they noticed in all the cultures that they just couldn't stand is when you asked a question or you made a statement or you spoke up in a meeting, the first thing that came out of that manager's mouth was criticism. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. And they're like, and this person said, you know, sometimes I was blatantly wrong, but they didn't, you know, kick me while I was down. They acknowledged what I had to say and then they kept moving forward. So it was a learning experience for everyone, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the person getting held out for everybody to go and see me get shamed. Yeah. I thought that was a really good point because how often in sales do we just suffer in silence because we don't want to get, let people know that we're struggling with how to set up our day or we're not, we're struggling with discovery or we don't know who to call or what to say because we're working a new market that we've never dealt with before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, like in terms of, so what I found with like managing like a remote team on that perspective is I don't care if you're the best rep or you're the, the most senior rep or brand new, you're not going to know everything. And I, and I found that like over communications, the most important thing you could do on a remote team, um, because it's hard to read body language sometimes. Of course, people are at home and for all, you know, like somebody's at the front door and you're saying something important in their minds somewhere else, which is okay. Like they're, they're, they're humans. Right. But with that, I think, um, it's important to like make the singular problems known, known as a team. So if I'm with a rep and you're right, like they're too embarrassed at a team level to bring up that they didn't know an acronym or they didn't know a product or whatever it is, I've just found it best experience that on the next team call without belittling the rep who, who had the issue and without even calling them out by name, just like, Hey guys, like an update. You know, I, I want to make sure that everybody knows these acronyms. Like, um, you know, I get maybe they're not as widely known as, as I would know them, right? I get people might not understand, mm-hmm. you know, if we solve this problem, what it does, like, let's just dive into it. Um, and that's just a way to like, like you learn from a singular mistake. And I think that's, that's super powerful. All the interviews that you've done and all of the background work and all the prep work you do, if you had to go and get another job, what would be some of the red flags that you would look for in that interview that would tell you to run? It's a great question. Um, you know, first and foremost, I would ask how the, how the person before me did. I, I would, mm-hmm. I would ask a lot of questions of like, Hey, like, you know, what, you know, what, what did you like about the person that was there before me? What didn't you like about them? Uh, what could they have done better? What, what did you really like that made them successful? Cause maybe they got promoted or such. Um, I'd ask like what a day to day looks like and how I'd work with like a manager. I, you know, I'm, I'm one that doesn't want to be micromanaged whatsoever. Um, and so I, so for me, that's, it's important to understand if I'm to be micromanaged and I think yeah. like asking somebody directly is, is the easiest way to do it. But I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody's going to say, yes, I'm going to micromanage you. Right. So like, I, I think like I'm trying to ask questions just to gauge how much like trust there is in me. I think like, you know, if you're an SDR or an AE, as you keep going up the ladder, you, you have more and more freedom to like leverage your experience and leverage like what your know-how is. Mm-hmm. And every step up, like you're going to have a little bit more freedom 
um, because you've earned it. You know what I mean? So that, so I think that's like what's important to me. Makes sense. Yeah. Working environment, understanding what the role looked like before, maybe asking like, you know, team performance or quota attainment, getting a real like picture of what, what the heck you're walking into so that you've managed that expectations on both parts. Yeah. And I think, I think it's always like the people part of it. I think as, as a salesperson, you should be pretty good at blueprinting. So like, I, I you know, it, I don't want to say it's unacceptable, but like you should have a pretty good idea when you, when you're talking with a company, obviously like what they do, you should be doing your, your homework to see what problems they solve. Hopefully you're not going to go to a company that the revenue is down, you know, down by any means. So like you should know that the product works so like those kind of things I felt like are kind of like generic questions, um, in some sense. So I've always kind of wanted to know about like the people part of it. Um, you know, like, um, uh, you know, maybe priorities of like of, of certain aspects of day to day or like uh, quarterly or so on and like make my decision based off of that. It's like the people that uh, I'm sure you still get these cold calls every once in a while. Can I speak to the decision maker or do you guys have budget for that? Yeah. Yeah. It's no different in an interview, right? It feels the same way. You're like, what did you do to prepare for this call? If this was the question that you asked me, like it just it sends so many red flags and it's hard to recover from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, what, like, what was the worst one you got? Like the worst one I got was they didn't even know if I worked for the company. Like that was our first thing. Like, Hey, like, can you verify, do you even work for talent.com? And it wasn't even my title. Like, I don't even know what, what they were trying to sell. You know, at that point you're, you're right or wrong. You're hanging up the phone. I had somebody ask me in an interview one time, um, what the, What's the salary expectation? It's like, it's in the job description. Yeah, but I want to hear you say it. <laughs> was how they led the fo- the call. And so I, I told them quickly and I was like, I have a feeling that uh, this might not be a good fit for you. And they're like, well, we'll get that to it in a second. What is the signing bonus? <laughs> and so you can tell where they're, why they were leaving their past company, right? Didn't have to go any further than that phone call. Yeah. Now, going remote, it has really thrown a lot of managers off, especially sales managers that are worried about performance. And a lot of sales managers are getting this reputation as being the punishers and not the coaches. Do you do you think that's fair? Maybe. Dep- depends on... It, it, it's all expectations from top down. So you're the punisher if you didn't accept the expectations or if uh, their boss is coming to them with something where they're they're coming to somebody in, in that type of like format. Does that make, does that make uh, sense? Yeah, no, that's fair. And the reason I wanted to ask you is you have such killer retention. You're doing way better than the rest of the companies by a lot. Like you've got to be in a, a beyond the top 5% in retention. So obviously what you're doing as a manager is working. So how do you step out of that punisher role to be that coach that people can trust? Yeah, so so it goes back to over-communicating. So like I, I tell people, I have a new hire starting on Monday and I always tell them like, I failed you if, if we ever have a conversation that you're surprised. Whether whether it's a coaching conversation that's more of like a punisher kind of uh, tone, whether it's a change in the company, something with pay, like if they're just finding out about it the second it happens, I, I didn't do my job. So, so that's mm-hmm. number one. 
Number two, it's like expectations. You know what I mean? Like I, I think you had this Punisher mentality or, or tone. It's, it's a surprise to have that type of conversation. So I'm setting the expectations, like what our day to day looks like. So if somebody walks in, they know exactly, you know, the fun, the unfun stuff, if you will, from sales. So like when you remove the over communicate or when you add the over communication and like you're setting expectations, there isn't really a lot of like tough conversations to have at that point. Um, your conversations are around coaching and I've honestly mm-hmm. felt, you know, being very upfront with people, like you're not punishing them. If you think they could be doing something better, like you're, you have a vested interest in making sure that they succeed. Um, you know, our organization is growing so fast. Like I truly want every single person to be here 15 years from now. Is that reality? I don't know. But like, I think, um, putting people in a position where there's no, no surprises is like the best thing to do. And it's a simple, simple thing that any manager could, could accomplish. Yeah. You guys, you're doing something right. You just got what? 120 million in funding. Yes, we did. So we had 120 million in funding. Uh, we've had three consecutive years of like 300% growth month, year over year. And you know, managers that are listening, if you listen, how Dan explains how he's working with his team, that retention is part of the reason why they're growing so fast. Cause he respects them and he's working with them, how he's hiring, how he's onboarding. It all comes together to create that growth. And when we can trust each other, we can make mistakes and we can grow and we can open up that opportunity. It, it's, it's critical. And, and if you're struggling with it right now, maybe don't go and criticize them. Maybe get them to listen to this podcast episode. Maybe put the timestamp in of what you want them to listen to and make it collaborative, work together. Nobody wants to get thrown, stones thrown at them or go and get insulted. So use this as your, your leverage to go and have a good conversation. So 120 million raised whole lot of growth over the past couple of years if you were to do it all over again what were or what were your those three things that you would change as a manager it's good uh that's a great question um so here, so here's what i would tell you what i would focus on doing okay yeah yeah no perfect all right so so that's that's a better way to do it because i because the, the the first thing is and you brought it up earlier is like fail fast Mm-hmm. And and have and have a culture that you're able to fail, where you're not criticized, or you're not um, like uh, worried about that too much. You need to fail fast to understand what doesn't work, and you need to create a cult- culture where it's okay to fail. So for sales, like like think about um, the way that you do your activities. Is it the best to do forty dials at nine a.m. to do it at five p.m.? Is it best to have a day of just all emails? Is it the best? To, to just do an, in, an industry-wide um, dial block, whatever, per day. I don't know. Like, it's it's going to be different for each company. There isn't going to be right or, a right or wrong until you find out what that, what that is. Um, you know, from a pricing perspective, from what your pitch is, from what your value proposition is, I think, like, we were very agile and changing and, and learning from our mistakes, and we made it okay to learn from your mistakes so people weren't afraid to do it. The second thing is, is then identify, like, your pillars. So... You have to find your pillars like as, of success as fast as you can. So meaning like, what is your ideal customer? Uh, what What is the reason why people are buying after talking with customers? Why are people leaving? Um, if you bring a customer on, is there a certain dollar point that like seems to be where they stick and there's a certain dollar point where they seem to fall off? 
the fast as you could identify that, the faster you could kind of build your sales uh, structure on those pillars to make sure, A, you're reaching out to the right customer. B, when you have the right customer, you're setting them up for success as well as yourself. And like C, you're like, um, and C is always like focus on the customer problem. Like yeah. people have a tendency to fall in love with their own problem. Like you could talk to an SDR and they could sit there all day and tell you how awesome their product is and why you should buy it. And it's so great and blah, blah, blah. What does it do? Like, does it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't solve a customer's problem. So be really uh, customer focused, right? Like what is their problem? How does your problem solve it? Those three yeah, things. You don't wake up dreaming of software yeah. and all the, all the yeah. problems it's going to solve. Yeah. So, <laughs> so those, those three things I, I think have been like a key to our success for sure. It's impressive that you've put that level of detail into customers and it just shows why you're doing so well. It almost, you notice, I always notice the reps that take that level of detail. They almost like they have this ability to see the future and it's because they, they do, they can see the future because they've already seen it seven, eight, 10, 20 times with past customers. And they're just helping people, you know, why them? Why now? It's easy to answer because you've seen it before. Yeah. You know what time it is next. In the spirit of the B2B power hour, Dan, what would be your power hour if every minute had to count and you had to invest that hour to be the most productive hour of your day? What would you do? It's a great question. I thought about it hard. I thought about <laughs> I thought about ways to lie about it and what would just sound good. I thought, <laughs> I, thought I, I was trying to think how do I could steal some ideas, but that wouldn't be ethical. So, so here's what I found, um, and I do it often. So I subscribe to like the book, uh, the one thing by Gary Keller. So that uh, the one thing basically is the axiom that basically says like, focus on the most important thing, whether it's customer related, your day related, but that gives you the utmost return for the time and energy you're putting in. So I found for me as a sales leader and like, it, it doesn't matter if you're a sales leader or a salesperson, but like there is typically on a daily basis one thing that could impact your day more than anything else that you do. Mm -hmm. Like your day might revolve around having one conversation with a customer and everything else doesn't matter as long as you could, you could win that, that call with the customer or that meeting or whatever it is. So for me personally, and I have to do it often just because I'm, I'm involved in a lot of different aspects of the sales or organization, but like I found I get to the first things first and I spend like 15 minutes identifying, okay, like if I got nothing else done today and I just win this part of it, this one thing, I, I'm having the best day ever. So I focus mm -hmm. on that. So that's like usually 15 minutes of my time. The other thing I'll tell you too, if you put that in your power hour is when you have a tough conversation or you're having like a, a big meeting or like whether it's good or bad, you tend to like have your day revolve around that. And if that calls like at five o'clock in the, in the afternoon, guess what? Like for eight hours of the day, your mind is somewhere else and you're probably not executing your other part of the day as well as you could. So if mm -hmm. you kind of get that, get that energy and that focus out first thing, like that's going to work wonders. The second thing is, is I like to do that for my reps. So I spend 15 minutes, do that for myself, spend 15 minutes for the reps that I'm talking with that day. Like, you know, when we talk about coaching, like it's not spending 15 minutes to find out what you're doing wrong. That's not the case. I'm spending 15 mm -hmm. minutes to understand like, what is the solution that I could bring you to help you sell more? Do I need to remove an obstacle for you? Do I need to give you more resources 
Do we need to work on your call in on your pitch? Do we need to work on your deck? What, like what, whatever it is. And I want to identify that for my reps sake before I get on the phone with them or five minutes or 10 minutes before, because I want to be able to come to them thoughtfully with the solution. So no matter what we talk about in that call, if we get that one thing done for them, like that's going to win the day for them as well. And then the last, which I, I talked to you a little bit offline, Nick is, um, and I think this is probably the most important thing is, uh, learning and exploring. So like growing, mm. growing my, my skill set. Um, I follow a lot of influencers like you and I'm looking for little nuggets of how I could be a better manager, how I could be a better salesperson, how I could be more productive throughout my day. Um, I'm reading up from industry leaders. So, so we're the third largest job board, right? So like, I want to follow the number one job board and I want to see what their leaders are posting and like what advice they have and what thoughts they have for the market. And I found that, you know, spending a half hour a day, just learning and, and gathering data and information is more beneficial than, than sitting later in the night, reading 300 pages of a sales book and only taking away a little nugget. And I do that on a daily basis, man. Like I'm telling you, all the things we talked about today, they're not a Dan Kajewski thing like whatsoever. Like these are tidbits that I've taken from you and others like that. And that's made me just be more, um, more of an influence on, I think like from a sales perspective and a coaching perspective. That's amazing. Talk about an inspirational power hour for the team. It makes sense why you guys are growing so fast and why you've done what you've done. Now, <laughs> this is that fun part of the show where I flip the mic over to you and you get to ask me one question. What? Do you have a burning question you'd like to ask? I would. So what, like for your, for your sake, like you've, you've, I, if you guys look at all of your podcast posts, like you, you've had a lot, right? So tell me like what makes the worst guest for a podcast? So these listeners, they have aspirations to, to go to be a guest and maybe you're going to say how I interview us today, but like what makes the worst podcast guest? That is a fantastic question. And you could name who it was too, if you wish. <laughs> I won't go that far, but I will say it's like a bad cold call. The worst guests are the ones that don't have a unique point of view and aren't clear on what they're trying to talk about. So everything's really fluffy. It's like when you know when you get a cold call and it's like the me, me, me game and all they do is they keep, like like you were talking about the SDR, they just kept promoting their product. Yeah, we don't care about the product. We want to know why it matters. What does it solve? What's that category you're trying to go in and be part of? You are have done an unreal job from where you started at Talent to where you guys are right now and that experience is what people are craving. That was a great conversation because what we talked about you're not talking about what you read in a book or what you heard on a podcast. You're talking about stuff that you have the scars to prove that you did it. And so you don't need to have scars, but you need to have experiences that led you to believe that what, what you're doing is the right way. And it doesn't have to be the perfect way, but you just need to have a point of view. And if I hear that point of view on other podcasts or if you come to me and demand me to pick a point of view for you, it doesn't work. And it, it's really frustrating when you get it about 15 times a week. <laughs> I would love you to put a spotlight on me, but could you tell me what that spotlight is? Yeah. Sorry, sir. That's not how this works. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. 
Any? Do you want one more follow up or? You... Uh, no. How about to have a little fun one? Like I saw it, there was a dog running around. Is, is is it in there? What kind of dog? What's its name? Her name is Zoe. We rescued her seven weeks ago now. She's happily got her cone off her head because she was like a battering ram. She's not exactly the most gentle creature. Okay. But uh, she's all snuggled up around the corner, and she's my uh, my uh, alarm clock to remind me when I've been working too long. Okay. <laughs> it's it's time to go for a wander. We don't dare say the W-A-L-K word unless we're ready to go out the door. Okay. <laughs> you have a dog? Uh, no, my wife and two kids are actively daily guilting me into getting one so I'm, I'm holding strong but it's just a matter of time that's how i got one i got conned into fostering and then it was too hard to say no and then it, it then she stayed yeah. <laughs> well i'm sure it's been all i'm sure it's been nothing but positive things so yeah actually it is it's between having kids and having a hound it's good to, it's a good reminder that there's more than life than just working right correct we're coming up on the hour. I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dan. There are a lot of people are going to get a ton from this. But what we haven't done is how can they follow you? How can they get a hold of you? It's a great question. So the two simplest ways, right? So the first is you could follow me or, or connect with me on LinkedIn. So it's just Daniel Kajewski on LinkedIn. Or two, like we're always, I'm always open to helping and chatting. My email is very simple. It's dan at talent.com. Perfect. Well, guys, it's out there for you. Take advantage of it. If you're having a hard time finding Dan, shoot me a message. Happy to help you out or check out the show notes. And Dan, I think we're going to have to have you back again. Talk a little bit more about the recruiting world and how to go and grow your high-performance team. I would love it, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.